Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders podcast. I'm so happy to have you back here on the show. And I can't wait to introduce you to Deborah Peters, today's guest here on the Legendary Leaders podcast. Deborah is, amongst so many other things, a global thought leader and professional speaker, and she has delivered keynote speeches and customized programs in over 15 countries so far. I'm pretty sure there are some more on the list that she's going to visit, hopefully very, very soon again. As a thought leader at uh, the Neuroengineering Institute, Deborah oversees the development of their offerings and is chief facilitator of all trainings, executive roundtables, and customized training programs for companies globally. And as a master trainer in neuroscience, the ability to repattern thought programs at the neurotransmitter point of origin, having worked with business leaders, heads of state, and leaders of post-secondary education, Deborah possesses the innate ability to deliver higher mind tools that create change, growth, and stability in any organization, large or small. And that's a big topic we are actually going to talk about today. And she has brought a fantastic case study with her that she's going to share to make the topic more tangible. What does it actually mean to apply those mind tools? What does it mean to have conversations with our higher self? And how does that help with relationships, help with very tangible quantitative results, help with feeling more at ease with ourselves, being happier selves? It's all connected, as Deborah will be saying quite frequently. She has successfully lobbied the U.S. Congress and facilitated a trade agreement between Canada and Panama. She is a member of the Community Police Advisory Board for the LAPD as well. A partial list of her clients include companies such as Boeing, City of Long Beach, Epson, Fox Rothschild, University of California, and even the Federal Bureau of Investigation and many, many more. So let's listen to what Deborah has to share with us. And once you have listened to it, let it sink in. See what it does with you. And as to whether you are immediately engaged in the message Deborah shares with us, or if you are still a bit skeptical of the conversations with our higher selves, for example, simply reflect and perhaps 
give it a go to experiment to try a few of those mind tools and to see what it does with you. That's my big invitation here to you. There is a huge chance and opportunity that literally lies ahead of you. But I think enough said. Let's dive right into this conversation. Enjoy. And as always, do share your feedback with us. Speak to you in a moment. Hello and welcome everybody and here we are with Deborah Peters and she is going to share with us a lot of insightful stories today, sharing experiences as well and therefore I hand over right away to you. Deborah, welcome. So good to be here today. I think we've got some really good morsels for your listeners. (laughs) Before we hit the record button, uh, Deborah basically said that this is going to be a fundamental, a very, very impactful episode. I said, no pressure. Um, But (laughs) you know what? I've got that feeling as well that we've got something great to offer here today. So let's, let's start right away. How are you feeling? It's the beginning of this new year. We've had a few, yeah. I wouldn't say challenging years because I know quite a few people um, around me, for example, loved the last two years and did some amazing discoveries about uh, themselves and life. But how has the start of this year, 2022, been for you? Well, beyond optimistic, you know, I think that it's just this constant unfolding of greatness that's happening on the planet. And it can be maybe challenging sometimes to see it that way, but it's a feeling, you know, and and I do everything from that place rather than what do circumstances look like. I ask myself, you know, how does this feel? Like, where Mm -hmm. am I going in my life? And and what's unfolding in my consciousness. And it just feels really juicy and expansive. And it feels supportive, you know, like there's something going on that's really good that maybe can't really put words to Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the word juicy, by the way. I'm so gorgeous to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) My business partner and I were thinking about how do we want to make other people feel, the people we work with. And we said refreshed and fresh. And now you came off with juicy. And I'm like, yeah, yes, that resonates indeed. So you mentioned already, you know, it's, it's a feeling. It's something that you notice, but you can't necessarily put words to it. I find that interesting. Um, what is it you do when you feel something like that, when you carry this positivity with you? What are you doing with that, if anything? That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say it, there's a lot of things that I do with it. So when it comes to like the doing part, On a physical level, I spend a lot of time outdoors. I do some pretty intense workouts. I do activities that are fun and enjoyable for me. And on a spiritual level, I channel it into conversations with my higher self. On an emotional level, I check in with where I'm going with that and how I'm feeling, like how I'm applying that good energy. And then on a mental level, it's like, I write, you know, I write, I create. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many aspects to us as a human. It's not just one area. It's like, Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes it just, you know, isn't enough hours in the day. Like this morning I was awake at four 30, like wide awake. I'm lying in bed and I'm like, doing <laughs> like, okay, obviously I'm supposed to do something with this time. So I did. What did yeah. you do? Uh, I got up and after having a big glass of water, I just went into some meditation and mm. received, you know, it's like, I'm asking all day. And I think we all are. I think all day long, we're asking like, I want more money. I want more fun. You know, I want happier relationships. I want a better body. Like we're asking, asking, asking. And that early morning thing for, for me. And I think for most people, if you can get into the habit of allowing it, you know, it's just like, that's when the receiving comes. Mm. Yeah. I loved it. Um, quite a few years ago when I went to Bali for the first time, um, to a beautiful retreat, it was our habit there to get up at four 30 because meditation and then yoga would start like 20 minutes later. So that you move with the sunset slowly but surely. Yeah. And okay, the first days were challenging, all right, because it wasn't a part of my habits. Sure. But it was just so refreshing. There wasn't any moment during the day when I thought, oh my God, I feel so tired. It was just beautiful. And you learned to downpace, to be, to reflect, to naturally meditate even in between. And it shifted the whole energy. Yeah. In inside of me and outside of me. It's it's been brilliant. Are you still doing it? No. So <laughs> here we go. I don't. I, I don't. And it isn't on my my it, it isn't a part of my goals to get up at 4:30 to do that. Right. At the moment I get up at 4:35 because my son is waking up and not always happy in the morning. So he has just turned one and sleep is very inconsistent. But what is what, or what I started doing again is to use the earliest time I can catch in the day to sit for 20 minutes as to whether you want to call it meditation, deep breathing, receiving, being, it doesn't even matter to me. But these are 20 minutes of calm, of peace. And as I said, being. Yeah, before the world weighs in on what you should be focused on or thinking about, right? Mm. Yeah, I know. I, I had actually set the alarm today, which, you know, the only reason I, I do that is um, just my ego thinks it needs it. But, you know, <laughs> truly, I didn't. And I had it set for 530. And, and I was awake, lay, literally laying in bed and, and saying to myself, you know, this is the time I need to be up. So I hadn't planned on it. It just, it happened. And there's some days I don't. I mean, it's not, um, like you were saying, it's, it's not an agenda item. It's, it's just, it's just the energy of what's going to feed me mm. and I don't fight it. So, you know, some, there's the odd day where I'll sleep late to me, six 30 is late. And obviously my body needed it. And we process when we're sleeping anyway. So mm. I think we have to get out of the right, wrong kind of mm. thing of if you don't wake up early, then you're not you're not dot, 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 right? You're not doing your best. You're not like creating your best or whatever. And it's, it's like, well, not necessarily. Maybe in my sleep, I'm busy. Yeah. So, yeah. And also, and, and here we are slowly but surely moving towards the leadership topic. People are different. People have different needs. And my belief is whatever helps people to show up at their best, mm -hmm. you know, is, is what, what they got to do. 
but that requires us to listen to ourselves and to our needs and to be with ourselves to yeah. understand what's good for me, what feels good for me, and therefore has a positive impact on the world around them. For sure. And, you know, it's um, that's a great point because it's really a fine line between our ego sabotaging us. Oh, you'd really, you really don't need this, or you really can't do this, or this doesn't work for you. And, and our higher self saying, you know, if you just give me an extra 20 minutes in the morning, I can turn your life around. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a fine line because if you don't know yourself and you're not able to understand the message, then you can be convincing yourself of the opposite. You can be sabotaging yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So I always say to my clients, like, just roll it back 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, just go to bed 10 minutes earlier, get up 10 minutes earlier and do that for a week and see how you feel, you know, see if you're more productive, if you're more calm, if, if you're more positive. And then if you are next week, do 15 minutes, like just play with it. Everything's an experiment and it all provides an evidence procedure of what we really need. Mm. You know, that old saying that success leaves clues. And so you just have to be calibrating off the results you're getting. Godness me, that's a good one. Yeah. And today I just feel like so on fire. So obviously the 4.30 was the answer, right? <laughs> and I have to say, you're literally glowing here right in front of me with a big oh, smile you. and yeah, very healthy facial color. Eyes are sparkling. It's brilliant to see. Thank you. And that's, you know, been a real focus of mine is my health. So in 2020 clicked in and we started getting locked down mm -hmm. to me, it was an opportunity to really take some time to dial up my health. I mean, I've always been healthy. I've always been into fitness and nutrition. I used to own a gym. So when I was in my twenties, that's kind of how I got my start in the coaching and speaking world. Yeah. I owned a gym for 10 years and it was a lifestyle and it still is, but you know, things can slide. <laughs> Let's just say that. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So in 2020, I'm like, you know what? I think you really need to get go old school and go back to go buy, buy some dumbbells and just go back to, you know, some sets and reps and, and dial in the nutrition. Cause I knew it all. It just, I, things had slipped, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's the top of my day. It's, it's everything to me. It's like, it's like having your son, you know, your world revolves around your son and rightly so he's a baby. He, he needs that from his mom. It's like, so my health is my baby right now. Cause I don't have a, a little boy or girl to take care of, you know, been there, done that. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. Really making that a priority. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right at the start again with that. But you know what? I have a massive urge inside of me. Things have got to change. Looking after myself sure. as much as after my son. You mentioned twice now the higher self. Mm. Conversations you have with your higher self. Listening to your higher self. So not everybody, and me included to a certain extent, will know what the higher self actually means. So what does it mean to you? It's that inner voice, you know, we call it intuition if you want, gut feeling, higher self, 
spirit, God, I mean, universe, <laughs> people called a lot of things. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just the relationship you have with yourself, really. And you work with a lot of leaders in the world, very, very senior um, CEOs, for example, heads of state, and so on and so on. Why could it be, or is it actually really impactful for them to listen or even converse more with their higher selves? Yeah, it's everything. You know, it's interesting. Some of them do it, what I would call unconsciously. It's just a natural thing mm -hmm. that maybe they cultivated at a young age. You know, it's different for everyone. I think we all have that at a young age. You know, I think the whole zero to seven thing, we are super dialed in to our inner being. And then it gets, it gets conditioned out of us by our parents, mm -hmm. because then they're insisting as, you know, they're caring for us. It comes from a good place. Maybe it's, the world is different than what their inner being is saying. So as an adult leader, in your business or, you know, whatever it is in your capacity is to tap into that and to, to utilize that. And the ones that do really navigate things well, and the ones that don't, I mean, they'll probably still get to their goal, but it's like the struggle's real, you know, it's, it's harder. So that's a big tool. I feel like I'm constantly repeating myself about, you know, most of my clients are male CEOs and it's interesting. They are very curious and receptive to the concept, but getting it downloaded as a norm is another conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's just repetition, you know, it's a process. <laughs> but if, if you were to make it slightly more tangible, Yeah, perhaps you have even an example that you can share in terms sure. of what are the differences, the CEOs who have more conversations with the higher self that tap into their intuition, yeah. or what they basically do differently or the results, how they achieve the results differently, the positive impact it might have on their emotional being, for example. How would you describe that? Yeah, and their money all of it, you know, their team, their direct reports, the relationships they have, all of it. So I'll give you, this is a great example. So I have this one CEO that I have worked with multiple times over the last 15, 20 years, depending on, you know, what he's launching next, because he loves to do that. And um, we just went through a merger and we had to unwind the previous deal, which was a nightmare. And so in one of our strategy sessions, I asked him this question. I said, tell me about the first time you sat down with this partner were unwinding from your life. And he goes, yeah, you know, there was just something about him I didn't like. And I went, oh, there's your red flag. There was your red flag. Can you see that that was your inner being showing you not to do this deal that has now turned into being almost an ulcer in your stomach, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then he got it. Like it was a great kind of teaching tool. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, like this went on for over a year, like 
unwinding that partnership put him through hell. So, I mean, there was days that I was getting up at five in the morning to jump on a phone call with him and meditate with him to just help the guy function, to get through the pain and suffering that was part of the... So then we fast forward to the new partner. And I said, so how does this feel? Like before you sign anything, how does this feel? And it was remarkably different. It was even in a different part of his body that he had the feeling. And I'm like, okay, so when we're calibrating here and you see the distinct difference, you, I promise you, you will never, you will never partner up with someone again that is going to upset your world like that. He goes, yeah. He goes, I've, I've learned my lesson here. And it cost him $10 million. Mm. $10 million got left on the table. It's just mind blowing. I mean, he'll, he'll recreate it. I have no doubt. No doubt. He's like that. That's what he's made of, you know, but still that was an expensive lesson that in a fraction of a second, he could have said no. I I wonder what he in monetary terms gained by making this decision. We, we won't know obviously, but in terms of invested additional hours, any, I don't know, settlements for arguments or, or whatever it is. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's it's just so big. And the thing is, is that had he, see, there's got to be a level of trust here for yourself. And this is where it's about really putting some energy and focus on getting to know yourself because the fear on the other side of that small voice in him that said, I don't like this guy, was the fear that, if he didn't do the deal, he wouldn't have the the investor. He wouldn't have the partnership to launch the new entity. And that's never true. You know, it's just never true. If it's not this one, it's the next one that is better. And it's the, the, it requires a level of trust. And hey, I've made lots of decisions from fear until I learned and I looked at the, you know, the shit storm in my life of all of these decisions, the fallout from all the fear-based decisions to finally go, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, why am I banging my head against this brick wall? And there's the evolution of the consciousness. Cause I promise you, this guy has evolved now. <laughs> like he will never <laughs> allow that kind of thing to happen again for himself. Uh, how would you describe that guy now? More settled definitely more in touch with his power. It's been a slow process because then, because we just literally unwound it like a month ago, the final, final, final. And so, you know, he's still going through this acceptance of leaving all that money on the table. So that's a bit of a process, understandably so. And, you know, the big thing is like, you can't beat yourself up for it. It's a learning curve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've grown your soul, like you'll never ignore that again. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's really starting to embrace his power. His relationships are changing for sure. Every relationship in his life is changing the dynamic. And, you know, some of the people don't like it because he's more self-aware now. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we train people how to treat us and He's not that guy anymore that ignores the flags, the red mm. flags. Yeah. Gosh, I, I literally feel this empowerment right now in my body, this sensation of, 
I have choices. Listening to my intuitive voice is a good thing because I'm pretty sure you have made the same experiences. I still being challenged on a regular basis, in particular by very senior, I'm sorry, guys, male leaders who say all of this emotional BS. Ah, here it's all about numbers. <laughs> yeah, of course we want to want to succeed. Yes, it would be nice to take the 10 million with us, right? But also, what can we gain by truly listening to our intuition or the higher voice or higher self, right? What does yeah. that give us? Yes, yes. And I, I think what he's coming to an awareness on, which I'm, I'm working with him about, is that, okay, you left $10 million on the table, but you have a better and deeper and more meaningful, trusting relationship with yourself. So how do you put a price tag on that? Because maybe it cost him 10 million, but he's going to make 50. And when he makes the 50, he's going to have a deeper appreciation. And he already does. It's like, who can I help with this money? Mm-hmm. You know, this is a different person now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to explain. He's just a different person. Mm-hmm. And he's the person that all these years, every project I've worked on with him, this is the person I always knew was in there, right? But, you know, as a coach, you can only work with what they give you. You know, I, you, can, you can see the greatness in them, but if they're not willing to, to show up and tap it, you have to just, as a coach, respect their, I don't want to call it timing, I guess alignment. See, I don't think anything is, I mean, timing is a big conversation in the world. Everything's about timing and it's yes for the ego, but I really think the spirit in us is it's about alignment. So can we shift the timing on results a hundred percent when we're in alignment, it can happen like that mm-hmm. for not in alignment. Yeah. Timing becomes a factor for sure. So yeah, this is a, now it's like a different human being. And I swear to you, friends, girlfriend, management team, like everybody's looking at him going like, who, who is this guy? <laughs> it's cool. It, it can have an immediate, beautiful yeah. kind of, um, it can make a huge difference right away. I think yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. And you are literally coming across differently come across often more powerfully, more charismatic for some. Totally. And and having been in this situation myself where I completely rediscovered myself, I wasn't yeah. hassling around anymore. I had this beautiful calmness inside of me. Mm-hmm. And you feel more in control, but in a lovely way. Yeah. And you have an aura around you that's just like, there's a certain ease. And with that ease, you suddenly create some amazing results because other people feel more drawn to you, want to work with you and you are more imaginative and so on and so forth. Yeah. I had a conversation with one of his guys, like one of his guys on his leadership team. I think he's the COO. And I said to him, so like, what do you notice about your CEO? Like his girlfriend told me that he's just generally more happy. And he goes, oh yeah, hands down. He goes, hands down, because he's known, he goes, I've known this guy and worked with this guy for 20 years, and I've never seen him just on a day-to-day basis for no reason, more happy. And I'm like, 
you just made my career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Thank you very much. <laughs> it is cool. And if you could play a role in that, amazing. How rewarding right? is that? How fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you haven't had the most joyful past, if I can say that in a more diplomatic way. So let's talk about your past. What challenges have you experienced and what really shaped the person you are now? Well, I think about this a lot. And, uh, you know, I grew up on a farm, very sort of rural area, and I had a load of freedom. I think about how that shaped me because it left me to my own devices. You know, I would go horseback riding for hours by myself. I was like, I don't know, nine, 10, 11, 12. I would just go. And anything could have happened to me. You know, I could have got bucked off. I could have like, whatever, fallen on my head. But um, it taught me so much about following my intuition. I, that's really where I cultivated it. It taught me how to deal with loneliness because my dad died when I was seven and my sisters were like 10 years older. So they were gone. My mom was running the farm. So she wasn't like an, an in the house waiting for me to get off the school bus kind of mom. Although I will say that no matter what she was doing, like out in whatever field handling, whatever, she always came to our farmyard, like our house, when it was time for me to get off the bus, she was always showed up. She might've been a couple minutes late, but she always rolled in, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that I wasn't like coming home and to an empty space, mm -hmm. but she couldn't stick around because then she had to go back out. So, you know, learning to deal with being alone and turning that into my relationship with God. I used to sit on my mom's bed and I would sit in front of her vanity and I would have these conversations with God. Like it was just, I've had some profound experiences, some really profound experiences and, and, you know, but we had a lot of poverty too. We didn't have um, plumbing, a plumbing, a plumbed bathroom in our house until I was 10, you know, literally dealt with an outhouse. So those kinds of things, you know, just really develop your character. And mm -hmm. for a while it was kind of steeped in this poverty consciousness, mm -hmm. scarcity consciousness, but it's my superpower now. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking that it yeah. is one of your superpowers. I would, I would say. So, so how did it become a superpower given that you grew up more with this poverty mindset? I wish I could just say to you that there was one turning of the corner and like, poof, there it was, you know, there's been many of those. I was looking through a journal last night because I'm doing some writing I'm working on a writing project. And I was looking through a journal and I just like some of the stuff I've been, I've written about over the years, I literally have every journal I've written since I was 16. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, You know, as I flip through the pages, I go, whoa, this is a girl that was like really in pain and really struggling and just thought life was stacked against her. Mm -hmm. You know, our favorite saying um, with me and my friends when we would, you know, hang out and party was life is tough and then you die. And I'm like, oh, my God, I couldn't even imagine 
having that conversation with anyone today, like to even let those words be a thing in my life. Right. But that was, that was like, that's all I thought there was. And so there's been many corner turnings. Some of them have been from negative reinforcement, you know, like something happened in my life that was painful. So I would vow, I think we all do that. Right. We're like, never letting that happen again, you know? And then there's been lots that have been just like, wow, obviously the hand of God has been steering me because I should probably be dead a few times (laughs) at this point. So yeah, there's, there's not never just one. It's a process. In your case, we are talking about, yeah, some, some very kind of challenging things that happened. Abuse being one of them, just also to, speak out that word you became a mom and I, I'm not here to judge as to whether that's chat was challenging or not but you became a mom at the age of 15 yeah as well yeah which is for me as a mom in her late 30s <laughs> who's already challenged by that like mind-blowing it's like how did she do that goodness me <laughs> so, girl so I don't she... even know how I did that unbelievable yeah You know, when I was a little girl, I was molested by a family member. And I think there was actually more than one. You know, it's interesting how our subconscious will like keep things hidden so that we are not traumatized again by them until we're really ready to to deal with it. And so I've been writing about that because it isn't just the being molested, it's everybody's reaction to it because, you know, at first it was, um, they were blaming me for it. I think they probably, many of them still do because I feel that through the working through this stuff, there's probably been a generational pattern of that sort of thing that I'm the first one that has brought it to the surface. You know what I'm saying? And so it's been a deep denial. You know, when you're denying something like that for generations, I mean, that's, a, that's almost like a generational curse. And then, you know, if someone comes along and goes, this is what's going on. And everybody's like, Whoop. Yeah. we haven't been, that's like under the carpet. Mm-hmm. So navigating that, I internalized it as, being dirty, like I was dirty and I was shameful and I was worthless. And I remember not long ago, like maybe 10 years ago, I was doing some personal growth work and uh, one day and I, it came out. I was, I actually was vomiting. Like I had literally internalized this limiting belief, this notion that I was worthless. And when I tapped into it and I was releasing it, I physically vomited. And I was like, I was on my knees crying hysterically. And then it passed, you know, once you get it out, it's like, whoa, (laughs) I feel so much better. And then my life, you know, took another shift in a positive direction. So It just was like this thing of how do I escape all of this, you know? And yeah, I was in high school and I had a child and then I was a mom and 
that I still needed to finish high school and go to college. There's always been this thing in me. It's like, girl, you are not settling. And I, I'm just not settling. Whatever that means in the minute of the day. Hell no, I ain't settling. And no one should. No one should. Yeah, that was my first thought when you said it. I'm like, <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, you know, isn't yes. it funny how there's so many constructs in society of mm. who you should be, what you should do with your life, what you should look like and what you can go for. Hey, mm. listen, you know, I, I, when I moved away from my family the second time, so when I moved away from my family the first time, I was like 30. And they didn't even give me a send off. They just ignored it. Like they all went, they were all off doing something. And I was like, okay, I'm leaving. I'm moving across the country. <laughs> Bye. I love you. And they're just like, ah, we're busy. Wow. And I, that like crushed me. That was the hardest thing for me. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm the only person in this family that's ever left to go on a bigger adventure and create more. And you guys can't even have a, like, give me a hug goodbye, much less a send-off party. So it took me a minute to get over that. And then about eight years later, I went home for a visit and I said, you know, I'm moving countries. And instead of like, wow, that's so cool. What? How can we help you? It's like, yeah, we'll give her three years and she'll be back with her wow. tail between her legs. And I'm like, man, you people are just nasty. So that's really the paradigm I came out of. And it's not that they're bad people. They're just caught up in a lot of negative programming that they haven't chosen to release. And I just keep using it as fuel. You know, they say a kite really flies the highest with the most resistance from the wind. And that's just what I'm doing. If that's what needs to be done, mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. I'm loving this. And, and actually, there is a bit of a theme that I am observing, at least um, the individuals I'm working with often bring to the session the topic about how my past has shaped me, in particular my family, and how I am able now in my 40s, sometimes 50s, to step out of these yeah. habits that actually don't come natural to me. I'm realizing that this is not my natural self, which is fantastic. It's like a mini movement starting. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because um, society has all these constructs and they are old and they're propagated out of habit. We don't even know why. It's just because that's the way it's done. And, you know, it's really about asking questions of yourself, right? So why am I believing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I living like this? And where did I learn that? And is it really true to me? I mean, that's a that journey in and of itself is really cool. So when do you start doing that? You start breaking these molds, familial molds and thought patterns. And I applaud anyone in a, in a family that 
takes the road less traveled and mm. self discovers because it's work. It is, it's work. It's, yeah. it's a decision. It's discipline because we want to go back to the comfort zone, even if it's abusive. I grew up with a lot of abuse, like everything was criticism. And, you know, to some people that may mean nothing because they're like, ah, just let it roll off. But we all respond and receive differently. And sometimes criticism can choke a child, can kill a child. You know, it's like everybody's different. So when you're that person in the family that says, I'm doing my own thing and I'm, I'm going to work through these limitations, these, these old thinking systems and just go for it. I mean, that's really not settling, you know, and, and that, that carves out a warrior because when you can do that, and sometimes it's a, the choice is moment by moment. Like you have to re-choose. You have to re-choose every nanosecond sometimes until you build up enough bandwidth in your self-esteem, your self-worth, your ability to calibrate to your higher self and then, you know, eventually you know, there is a tipping point and it clicks. So just keep going, you know, just, just keep going. It's just like <laughs> one foot in front of the other. Going and be brave to do it. Yes, it's, be brave. Yes. Always. Being brave is good. Yes. I would like to make the connection in between the great and the not so great things you have experienced in your past until you left your home at uh, the age of 30 to running a successful business as a business coach, speaker, the way you, you run it at the moment, you, you are not simply helping businesses succeed and grow, which isn't simple, by the way. You are truly supporting the leaders in those businesses to live happier lives, yeah, which, which is connected. incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so how did you do that? How did you get to that stage where you are now? Right. I know that's always, I always get that question. <laughs> so just, you know, distinction, I left home when I was 14. Then I left the family community when I was 30. Uh, and, yeah. Okay. So um, how did I do it? By what, putting one foot in front of the other? It didn't start out this way, but I will say this, I will say this. So when I was little, because we lived on a farm and it was a really cold climate and there wasn't a whole lot going on in the winter. And sometimes it was like 40 below. I would use my imagination and I'd line up all these cardboard boxes and I'd put a blanket over it and I'd pretend it was my podium. <laughs> and um, I'd have my, my cat, you know, I'd bring the, I'd bring my kids in the wintertime, my mom would let me bring the cat and the dog in the house because it was cold. So they were my audience and I just would like do my thing to the world. Loving it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it really was it, you know, listen, your imagination can move mountains because that's, that's the key. And as an adult building a business, you tap into your imagination and your business will thrive. And you listen to your intuition because your business will show you which direction it can grow the easiest if you pay attention. And then your intuition will tell you, take this step, talk to this person, send this email, go to this event and 
shine, you know, it's really kind of simple. So in building my business to being now like a global entity, I did it with from passion. I'll tell you a little story. So I did a cold call on Ferrari in Italy. I had to dig, but I made it work. So I, I read this <laughs> article. <laughs> I read this article in Harvard Business Review that a client gave me. And it was for something else. It was back in the day when they the new CEO reorged uh, the Home Depot chain, which is kind of unheard of. Like typically a CEO doesn't do their own reorg. They'll bring in consultants. Yeah. So I thought, okay, this is a fascinating article. But further in the magazine was an article by, at that point, the training director of Ferrari. And he was talking about how they approached training. And I was like, wow, this has my name written all over it. Like, mm -hmm. I really need to get in there. So I talked to some friends at my favorite Italian restaurant in town that were literally directly from Italy. Mm -hmm. And they, they found me the number and, and I got, I made it happen. And I went in for a conversation and we spent a pretty, you know, I, I was in, I was in Italy for another event. I was speaking actually in Spain. So I thought, well, it's just like right next door. You know, I've already done a 11 hour flight, like seriously. Yeah. You know, I spent, I spent the day I toured the factory and got, had a really great experience and we threw around some ideas. And at the end of the meeting, he kind of sat back in his chair and he looked at me and he said, so, you know, we have like almost thousands of consultants wanting to work with us because we're Ferrari. So what makes you so different? So like, why you? And I seriously had this God moment. I swear. I just kind of sat back in my chair and I literally teared up. And I said, because it's the passion. It's how I live my life. And that's what Ferrari's built on. Enzo Ferrari built this company on passion. And it was like, boom. And it was the truth. Like it wasn't a thing that I made up. Like it came from my heart. We were both misty eyed. It was just like that. Whoa moment. <laughs> so I guess you got the gig. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's how I do everything. It's like, it's the passion. So I've uh, like written and rewritten my business model so many times and different strategic plans. And, you know, I have this thing about like mapping them out big. So one time I went and bought all these, like there was this art store in the, in the city I lived in when I first moved to America and it had this huge like ream of paper and you could just like, roll it off and buy yards of it. And it was, I think like three feet wide and then however long you wanted. So I just bought like about 10 feet of it. And I had this den in my apartment and I papered like two walls with it. I just wrapped it around. And then I started mind mapping my life mm -hmm. and pretty much all of it's come true, you know? Wow. So that's how I did it. And I've redone that a lot. Because we grow and we we evolve and we see things differently. And the stuff that you might put on your mind map or on your plan that you're like in doubt of, you know, pretty soon like you're checking it off and it the next plan doesn't even need to include it. So it's a really great exercise, actually. Which which leads me to a very important question. And that question refers to joy. 
So many, many people in this world have truly suffered from the pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? And the ongoing state of you can't, you can, you can't, you can, you have to withdraw, you have to be isolated at home, you can't see special people in your life, you can't travel, all of these things. And I know that in particular, mental health has been impacted, right? And what I hear a lot is I have lost my ability to enjoy or to feel joy. Uh-huh. So what would your top tip or top tips be for, for these people to reconnect with joy in their lives? So I had that similar experience when it first started. I was angry. I was waking up in the middle of the night yelling and cussing. I was so angry. You know, this is a girl that's ridden her horse at 10 for 14 miles by herself. I've experienced freedom beyond measure. And I was angry. And so first step is make a decision that this is not going to control your mind because your mind is everything. It's everything. Your consciousness is everything. It determines your money. It determines your relationships. It determines your body, how your body manifests and morphs. It's everything. So first of all, you have to make a decision that you're the one in charge of your mind. And there isn't a lockdown or a restriction or a news flash that's going to impact you. That's the first step. The second step then is now you've got that under your belt. Now you have to feed it. You have to nurture it. You have to cultivate it. So you take some time every day And you literally discipline your mind to focus on things that bring you joy. And at first you might have to make it up, you know, you might have to. So one of the things that I did initially is I started watching a lot of comedy on YouTube. It was always how I ended my day. I would watch something that would make me just like double over in laughter. I also started watching because at the time I was living um, downtown Los Angeles, which was awful. I can't even tell you. Like, we don't even want to talk about that. It was just horrible. Tents, trash, filth, buildings shut down, people scurrying around with masks on and their hoodies up, you know, terrified to even be on the same sidewalk with you. And I'm like, this is not going to define me. I am creating my joy within. And so then I started watching these little animal videos You know, I'd watch like baby donkeys or (laughs) baby goats or, you know, what, listen, whatever it takes to put yourself into a positive state, pray, meditate, stand in front of the mirror, say nice things to yourself, you know, soothe yourself with kind words. No one can control your mind or your emotions unless you allow them to, and you get to decide all day long, forever. It's up to you. And that's why I started watching Friends again in the evenings. <laughs> Here we go. Yes. <laughs> Some light laughter and fun and embracing friendship in a different way. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's so right, though. Absolutely. It's the small things of joy we've got to focus on. That's right. And then, you know, so for me, I just like, 
I don't believe in disease. I don't know how that sits with your listeners, but I'm just being transparent. Mm. Like I don't, yeah, I don't believe in disease. I think, I think there's a disease program that's been running in society for decades. And that's another conversation, (laughs) but I believe it's all consciousness. It's all vibration. And when you keep your vibration high, you're like Teflon baby, nothing can touch you. What a brilliant way to finish this episode. You are like Teflon baby. And you've even got um, some amazing tips that you can apply in your day to day that won't take a lot of time, but will enhance your life, your overall happiness. I wish we had more time and we could continue talking. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this show and to listen to you, to experience you and to ah, almost absorb some energy from you. Thank you so much for it, Deborah. Uh, thank Thank you. God bless you. And and many, many blessings going ahead in this new year. Thank you so much. Before we let you go, share with us, where can we find you? Where can we find uh, something more out about your book as well? So my website is N-E-I-M-I-N-D, N-E-I-Mind.com. And we'll be popping something up there real soon. I'm also launching again, a podcast next month. So Let me know the name of it. We're going to post it as always in the show notes. So do tune in and learn more with and from Deborah. Thank you so much again. Have a wonderful remaining day. Keep glowing and goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.